Bibles to 1 Samuel 24. 1 Samuel 24, page 286 of your Pew Bibles. This, on, this is our ongoing series now on the life of David, who began as shepherd boy, served the Lord as a soldier, defeating Goliath, and um, also defeating the Philistine army in other battles as well. And uh, we're still at the point in David's story where he is not yet a king, but King Saul is still ruling over Israel. Saul has been rejected by God for sinning against the Lord in 1 Samuel 13, 14, and 15 in different ways. And, um, and so here we are in the story where David is on the run from Saul and uh, he's hiding in a cave in the story that we'll read today. And um, we'll learn how David responded to Saul's um, aggression towards him, even Saul's attempts to take David's life. And uh, throughout the sermon, we'll see how Christ is the greater David and how we're called to mirror the actions of, of Christ and of David, um, overcoming evil with good. And so we're going to read the whole chapter of First Samuel 24 this morning. Having already prayed, let's look at our text. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid it that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my right hand, my hand against him seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also rose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Because this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom... Has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? 
May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dwelt well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now, behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was talking with our high school students during catechism class a few weeks ago about the topic of forgiveness. We were studying the Lord's Prayer where we are told by Jesus to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive those or as we forgive our debtors. And during that lesson, I asked the high school students, do you find it easy or difficult to forgive people who sin against you? In asking this, I was asking, are you somebody who holds on to to bitterness, to a desire for revenge, or are you able to be gracious and forgiving towards people who sin against you? And the students gave some great answers. A few of the students noted how, well, it kind of depends on the severity of the sin, doesn't it? It depends on the situation. There are sometimes it's easy to forgive. Somebody bumps into you in the hallway Somebody is three minutes late to a meeting. We can easily forgive those minor mistakes that people make. But what if somebody does something that that really hurts? What if a spouse criticizes you in a way that attacks your deepest insecurities? Are you able to forgive? What if you discover a friend has been turning people against you? something that I would guess happens on occasion in a high school environment. Would a a student or a young person or anyone be able to forgive? You discover that somebody who you thought cared about you was, was just nowhere to be found because you've been going through a hard time lately and you've been struggling in your time of greatest need. That person never called, never reached out, was not there for you. Brothers and sisters, you will be sinned against. So how will you respond? People will sin against you in this life. And so how will you react when this happens? Are you prepared to react like a Christian? Or like here in our story, like David did wisely towards Saul? Or are you preparing yourself in your mind to take revenge, or to hold on to bitterness. In our scripture text today, Saul was trying to kill David. 3,000 fighting men of Israel, he gathered together to hunt 
David. And you can see David is aware of the ratio that is not in his favor as he describes himself in our passage today. Have you come into the wilderness to seek a dog? He said, I'm like a flea compared to your army that you have gathered to kill him. So Saul has been chasing David, has chased him into hiding, and this comes after all David has done for Saul. We thought several weeks ago about how David ministered to Saul when the Lord sent a harmful spirit upon Saul. David would come to Saul and play beautiful music skillfully so that this harmful spirit would depart from Saul when David arrived singing praise to the Lord in Saul's presence. And so Saul or David has greatly enriched the life of Saul through that personal interaction, but also David has been fighting in wars for uh, the name of the Lord, but this has also benefited Saul's kingship during uh, David's battles as well. As David has seen so much victory after victory, it's always a benefit to the king of the nation, Saul. And so, after all David has done for Saul, the king repays him by threatening his life. Saul has learned that David will be the next king over Israel. He's filled with rage, with bitterness, and he seeks to take David's life. So how was able, David able to restrain his desire for revenge against Saul? How was David able not just to restrain his desire for revenge, but actually to proactively do good to Saul? Now, as difficult as some of our lives are, and I know that there are people enduring difficult circumstances now in our church None of us have experienced what David is experiencing in this passage. Not saying his life is necessarily worse, but certainly none of us have experienced a pathological king um, hunting us through the wilderness. We learned last week that, that Saul has descended into a state of psychological depravity, a state of emotional and spiritual turmoil. So that he is, he's sort of like a caged lion who is hungry. And there's no predicting what Saul is going to do next. We find at the end of this passage, Saul says, basically, we're good again, David. And it's just two chapters later in verse, 1 Samuel 26 where Saul is hunting David again and David spares his life again. And so he, he makes these rash promises that he doesn't fulfill. He's unpredictable. He's filled with anger. He's doing this time and again. So, we've seen that God has rejected Saul, and this means that that Saul not only hates David, but he hates anyone who associates with David, including Saul hates his own son Jonathan as he speaks a curse over him in previous chapters. And so today's story brings us to this cave, this situation where David is hiding with his men in the innermost parts of the cave and Saul enters and he's in a vulnerable position and instead of thinking about Saul's situation right now let's think about David's state of mind as he is aware that Saul his accuser his earthly enemy is is right there What is David's state of mind during all of this? We find in Psalm 57 
how David is thinking when this event occurs. And I encourage you to open your Bibles to Psalm 57. We're going to read Psalm 57 this morning, in addition to 1 Samuel 24. Psalm 57, towards the middle of the Scriptures. And I know that it's often the case when people are reading these psalms that they skip over the, the, uh, the prescript there, the, the first part that describes the situation of, that the psalmist was in in writing these songs. But today we're going to pay attention to that, that initial description of, of what the situation is. This is to the choir master according to Do Not Destroy. That's a tune a miktam of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. So this is a song David wrote, thought of, sang in that cave. How did he respond? What is his state of mind? Is he filled with rage and bitterness? Let's read. Be be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. He will send from from heaven to save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out His steadfast love and His faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Did you notice at the beginning of that psalm, David says, I know God will fulfill his purpose for me. That was in verse 2. God will fulfill his purpose for David. His glory will be over all the earth. And so David could focus just on his situation, just on Saul, who is trying to kill him, but his attention remains on the Lord. All throughout the passage, even as he's recognizing this is a difficult situation, a trap has been set for him. People are persecuting and seeking to take his life Mixed in with that, we find words of praise from David. Right in the middle of describing the situation in verse 5, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. And he repeats it at the end of the psalm as well. So David sings to God in the cave. He sings to God in the cave. He takes refuge in the shadow of God's wings, he says, until the storms of destruction passed by. In our passage of 1 Samuel 24, we learn that David knew that God had a perfect plan and that God was also a God of justice. So David sings to God knowing his glory will be over all the earth and that God is a God 
of justice as well. In verse 12 of our passage, he said, May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. There are occasionally moments in all of our lives when we might fail to recognize that God is a God of justice and so we think we've got to take matters into our own hands to get even. This happens occasionally in our own home. In the Van Dyke home, you might be surprised to learn at times there are tensions between the four Van Dyke children, even though they are pastor's kids. There are these moments where There's frustration, argument maybe, and in the moments after that when discipline is being handed out at time, including even punishments, children are always evaluating if things worked out fairly. Is it fair what happened for their sibling compared to the discipline that was administered to them? This obsession of fairness, of justice, often provokes cries and complaints. One of the most frustrating things to our kids is when it seems like a sibling is getting off too easy after they've done something wrong. The upset child might, might come to us unconvinced that justice was served, crying out, it's not fair. And so there's inner turmoil, emotional distress in a child's mind, and a child's thoughts, because it seems like justice was not done in a situation. This sometimes leads the aggrieved child to take matters into their own hands, even. David does the opposite, and so will the person who trusts God's judgment. To trust God's justice, to be patient, is to let go of bitterness let go of this desire for revenge or even this emotional turmoil that comes from the unfairnesses that we observe happening in the world. We've seen in recent weeks that, that the events of David's life foreshadow the ministry of Jesus. And that's once again the case today. It's the case where Jesus, of course, is the greater David who overcomes evil by doing good, by showing grace. In previous weeks, we've learned how Jesus is the greater David defeating the enemies of God. For David, that is Goliath. For Christ, that is Satan. We've learned how Jesus is the greater Jonathan, who is a perfect covenant-keeping friend to us. Today, Jesus is the greater David who overcomes evil with good. As he's being pursued by his enemies, what was Jesus' state of mind? How did he respond? Luke 23, verse 34 records Jesus' prayer while he is being nailed to the cross. While Jesus is physically being nailed to the cross, he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. We learn in Romans 5 that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us overcoming our evil by doing good to us. If Jesus is the greater David, we could ask, well, who is pursuing him like Saul? Who is 
who was seeking to take his life. Of course, we know literally that was the Pharisees, the chief priests and the teachers of the law in Israel in his day. Like Saul, they wanted to kill Christ. Who The word Christ means the anointed one. And so like Saul, they're, they're seeking to take Jesus' life to remove him so that they might remain in a kind of religious authority. But we could extend that also to ourselves today. Although we are different in many ways than the Pharisees, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, in our sinful nature, any of us would join with the mob who cried, crucify him. In our sinful state, any of us would join in that cry. Before we start thinking about how we should be like David in this story, let's think about how we are very much like Saul in this story. Think about all that God has done for you, for us. Think about all that Christ has done for us and even despite all of the blessing he has poured upon us day after day, at times we still act in disobedience act out of ingratitude. We, act, we respond to the good that he's done for us with grumbling, complaining. Think about all that David had done for Saul. He sang to cheer him up. David defeated Israel's enemies, enlarging the borders of Israel, which benefited Saul. And now Saul repays, him by trying to ki- repays David by trying to kill him. And it's the same way with our response to the good that God has done for us. He has given us life. He's given you everything you need. He has given you relationships and a church, given us freedom in this nation to worship Him, given us peace through Christ and eternal security through Jesus' death and resurrection, and so often we we repay Him with disobedience. The story of David should make us thankful for the grace of Christ towards us. Before we start thinking right away how we'd like to be like David, which we will do in a moment, let's think first about how we are very much like Saul in our interactions with God. Saul's statement in David verse, uh, to David in verse 17 is a statement that we should say to God. Verse 17. Let's say this out loud together. You are more righteous than I for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. That is an, a, a call to confession, <laughs> a recognition of our sin against a God who is abounding in steadfast love towards us. That's what all of us should say daily to Christ. And what is, how does Jesus respond? Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. The Christian faith is built on the grace of Christ towards sinners, towards enemies of God. Just as David had every right to end Saul's life, so the Lord has every right to abandon us, but he shows us grace. Grace, that's what grace is. It's giving us blessing where we deserved wrath, where we deserved punishment. It would have benefited Saul to keep that cloak. It would have benefited Saul to hold on to that cloak that David cut as a reminder to him of the grace that David had shown him. But but we've seen with Saul time and again that he quickly forgets 
the grace that David has shown him. He quickly forgets the goodness that God has shown him through David. But let it not be the case for you. Do not quickly forget the grace of God shown to you through Christ Jesus and its grace that continues every day. Brothers and sisters, remember God's grace. Learn from the cautionary tale of Saul who forgot about this grace so quickly and was swept up in his emotions, in his reaction, in his bitterness, in his selfishness that caused him to forget that grace and come right back at David only two chapters later trying to take his life. Let it not be the case for you. Remember God's grace every day. And, of course, there is a moral lesson for us here as well that Christ has shown us grace taking our sin upon himself at the cross. And we should follow Jesus, being like him, overcoming evil by doing good. So are you prepared to show grace in your house today? Are you preparing yourself always to to live with grace in your workplace, in uh, the community where you live, it, at school? Are you always preparing to show grace or are you preparing your heart to seek revenge? Charles Spurgeon preached an amazing sermon on this very topic um, from Romans 12 called Overcome Evil with Good. And here's what he said about the desire for revenge. His, his, uh, his excellent preaching um, in that sermon, he said, evil for evil is an edged tool which cuts the man who uses it. A kind of cannon which is most dangerous to those who fire it, both in its discharge and in its recoil. Uh, This is an era where firing a cannon was a dangerous thing to do, as there could be an explosion right in your face as you were firing a cannon. Certainly in uh, centuries before the 1800s, that was even more so the case. And, and we can think of revenge as like that dangerous activity of firing a cannon and it might blow up in your face. Revenge is a cannon which is most dangerous to those who fire it. And so, recognizing this, will you let go of this desire for revenge and, and train your mind, train your heart towards showing grace? I think one of the great lessons of 1 Samuel 24 is a bit of a hidden lesson in the text itself. That David did not make a split decision to show grace to Saul, but that his heart was so full of love for the Lord and trust in the Lord that he was prepared to do what was right when Saul was right there in front of him. So I don't think we should regard David as doing something that was exceptional and out of his character, as if he was going around um, being vengeful towards all kinds of people, and all of a sudden when Saul is right there, he does the right thing. I think we'd almost think the opposite, that as David is so trusting in the Lord, believing in his plan and his justice, trusting in God, he is preparing always for this moment to show grace. So are you also preparing your heart, preparing your mind to show grace to people who sin against you like David did? If somebody speaks ill of you, will you find ways to genuinely encourage that person with your words? You have to commit to it now. 
You have to commit to it in advance. So you're training your mind to act in a way that is Christ-like when the situation comes. If somebody dislikes you, and you know it, will you just flee away from that person? Or out of Christ-like love, will you move towards that person? I think it's so often the case in, in our culture where would somebody would dislike um, you or I, the temptation might not be for revenge, but the temptation might just be for withdrawal. Just be done with that person. But there are times where God will put that person right in front of you again and again. Will you show grace? Will you give encouragement? Will you overcome evil with good? When someone is stingy towards you, will you be generous towards them? When you're discussing a controversial, ethical, theological, or political issue, you're discussing things maybe with somebody who disagrees you, maybe with somebody who agrees with you, but you're discussing this topic that is theological, ethical, or political, will you love your neighbor as yourself by presenting their views in their best light instead of presenting a caricature of those views that's so easy to dismantle or destroy. That's a way of overcoming evil with good. The golden rule is not that you would do unto others as they have done to you. That's just a recipe for a desire for revenge. The golden rule is not that you would do to others as they've done to you. The golden rule is that you would do to others as you would want them to do to you. So, Jesus is, of course, the perfect example of this, giving up his own life for the sake of his enemies. And the Christian who claims to follow Jesus must love those who hate you. You must love those who hate you. That's the teaching so clearly of Romans 12, 17 through 21. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Uh, Notice there that living peaceably requires activity, being proactive, moving towards peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Live peaceably as far as it depends on you. Strive towards it with all people. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, let go of your bitterness. Kill it. Let go of it. So many people, including people in churches, allowing bitterness, a desire for revenge, memories of that thing that happened 15, 30, 75 years ago, gnawing at people's souls, at your soul, and that desire for revenge, saying, it's not fair, ruining your enjoyment of the Lord, 
ruining your experience of community. If this is something you struggle with, go to Psalm 57 often. Open these words where David is saying, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Be exalted in my life as I show grace like Jesus did, like David did to my enemies. It, it will happen when you trust God. When you trust that God is a God of justice and is a God of mercy. If your refuge when you are sinned against is revenge and bitterness, you will make everything worse, including your own suffering. If your refuge when you are sinned against is the Lord, like it was for David, you will be steadfast in glorifying God like Jesus did in his life and like David did even in that cave. Brothers and sisters, as Jesus' followers, we love our enemies and we trust God that he is a God of justice that will be done either in this life or in the world to come. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.